Culture Dubs. Hello, folks. Welcome back to Culture Dumps. I'm Ryan Lichten here with Parks Miller. Uh, this is gonna Hello. be yeah. This is a big big dump uh, that we've put off for a while. You know, I mean, sometimes like a really big dump will come across our way. And we'll be like, oh, shit, like, why haven't we thought of this? And then some we've been saving for a long time. Like, for instance, when before we ever recorded episode one, we knew what episode 100 was going to be. But, you know, uh-huh. we, you know, there's just certain topics that uh, that we've put off just to not blow through all the big ones. But this is a big one for sure. Um, but before we start on that, uh, I've messed up. And when we did our award show Mega Mix. Adam and I, for some reason, completely forgot to mention that when him and I were creating the award show awards, that ill-fated event uh, that we were going to do, we went to an award show and neither one of us mentioned it. We went to the trailer awards for movie trailers. And it was like best action trailer, best trailer editing, best like, and Marlon Wayans was the host. Well, like that year, like John Wick, like swept the shit yeah. like quite a bit also mm-hmm. um th- that, movie, that movie is just a trailer what, what's, when you watch the movie it's just it's a trailer in yeah itself. exactly yeah yeah uh john wick won a, won a whole bunch but i know that like best original trailer score went to um what was that that movie was is it was it them or was it called us the, the one where it's like the family oh the the se- the second jordan peele right. horror movie yeah after get out yeah yeah yeah, because they they did like they did like the I got five on it, but like made it all like fucking like uh, Orpheum, Creepy. like wh- whatever the fuck, like they made it just like insane. So that one, but yeah, Marlon Wayans yeah. was was the fucking host, and he was like, who who does the uh, Requiem for a Dream like theme? The, the something quintet, the Orpheum quintet or Orpheus quintet, something like that. Kronos, the Kronos, yeah, Orpheum. Why am I saying Orpheum? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, Kronos, yeah. You they said did it a they, lot. They, they did. I know, I know. Just like bang, bang, bang. Um, <laughs> Orpheum had a lot of caffeine today. I'm trying to slow myself down a little bit, but um, they did like a whole like dedication to them as like a joke because that thing, that like song from Wecrium for a Dream was in like a million trailers. So that 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 was that was a whole thing. Uh, but anyways, yeah. So it's we went to a trailer awards. Totally yeah. forgot to mention it. It's funny you mentioned that though because I've been like kind of annoyed with how many trailers now are basically making like creepy or orchestral versions of classic songs, you know? Oh, sure. Like I got five on it or uh, the new Batman doing like an orchestral version of Nirvana. Right. Dune did an orchestral version of Pink Floyd. It goes on and on. Right. Um, well, I, I hate the um, like it's in a lot of commercials now where it's like the Phoebe Bridgers like style, like, like just like very light, like kind of like queef rocky, like so it's like, like, and then we go to bed. Like, but they'll like cover all oh, kinds of breathy. Yeah. The breathy, breathy. shit. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I'm sick of all those covers, but anyways, yes. today's dumb. I, well, one, one uh, last. Sure. I did want to say, since we're on it, since we're talking about trailers, um, and we rarely do little like catching up, but, uh, there's a new David Cronenberg movie that looks fucking awesome. What? What is um, it? Uh, fuck, I can't remember, but it has. <laughs> this Vigo is going great. <laughs> Vigo Mortensen and Kristen Stewart. 
Okay. <laughs> Sold. <laughs> and it, no, no. It's a very strange casting, but you should look up the trailer for it. It looks absolutely insane. So that I mean, well, speaking of new Christian movies Stewart, coming out, Kristen Stewart's good. I like her. I like her all right. She was great in Spencer, the, gonna, the Princess Diana she, movie. Yeah, I know. I need to see that. Um, but yeah, I I think she, she's gonna make her appearance in Dump. Work oh yeah, soon. but you have to watch like fucking like four more movies before we can do that. I like, just have to watch three more excruciatingly long vampire <laughs> movies, and then I'm gonna write. A goddamn book about these books. <laughs> yeah, no, we're just gonna do the movie. Shout movies out to that. Aaron, Aaron in Atlanta for giving me the idea of that. Yep, gotta so. love Twilight. But, but anyway. uh, another new movie that's uh, was was announced was a Barbie live action movie starring Margot Robbie, who played Yo, in a very good woo, movie. He's it today. Back. Yeah, yes. today's. Uh, dump of the week. Uh, actually, this is going to be yes. a two-parter because there's a lot here, and we could have mm. jammed it all, but uh, we really wanted to give you kind of the full perspective. But we're talking about Tanya Harding, who mm-hmm. is definitely a dump. This is the third time. This is the third appearance uh, of mm-hmm. Tanya Harding, her own yeah. episode, though. So, yeah, she was on the Celebrity Sex Tape episode. We talked about her, and also Celebrity Boxing. But now we're going to get into the yeah. entire story. So Tanya Harding is a dump because she single skatedly changed the face of professional ice skating and was at the center of the biggest scandal in the long history of the Olympics. Ice skating has always been considered the most graceful and dainty of all pro sports. But Tanya turned that notion on its head, not only with her attitude and skating skills, but also with her hard living lifestyle. This is a perfect example of a classic dump and one that we have put off for far too long. So now I love it. Yeah, I I um, I mean I guess it is kind of like the biggest sporting scandal of the 90s. Sure. Um, I mean, with the exception of OJ, uh, if you want to count that. Right. But by the time that it actually became a scandal, it really didn't have anything to do with sports anymore. Sure. And I mean, I don't know if it's hard. I don't know. It's like it feels like the 90s in some ways was defined by these scandals. I mean, technically, the OJ is beyond that because it involved a murder, um, two murders. But, you know, you had... The Clinton Lewinsky, the Tanya Harding. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. There was these. There was just sort of these like iconic um, scandals. But yeah, we're not. We can't do OJ. We can't do Lewinsky. Um, just because they're too big. And I think Tanya Harding. I think the Margot Robbie movie did kind of put it back in people's minds. And that movie was very successful. So I mean, in the way the movie like almost threatened to make it out of dump dump. world for a second (laughs) uh just because every margot robbie's such a popular actor right now that it kind of was like oh everyone's talking about tanya harding but in you know it really is the lesser of i mean it was a huge scandal but there's so many juicy dump elements to it well and to cross the dump world like you know, Margot Robbie plays uh, Tanya Harding, and the guy that plays Tanya Harding's husband, Jeff Galuli, in I, Tanya, he played Tommy Lee in the Pam and Tommy show. You know, so there's like this, all this dump, just great dump stuff. But the movie Tom-ya, got a lot of things Tom-ya wrong. Tanya Harding? Tanya? Yeah, Tanya. Yeah, I wish they got Tom- together. Tommy. 
that that would have been a whole that would have been a whole different sex I, tape. I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you right now. I didn't see Itanya because fine. I don't have the I don't have the proper streaming service, and it wasn't available to rent on YouTube. My old man way of watching movies, <laughs> um, but I. Sh- I showed up in some other ways. I've, I watched a couple other uh, good pieces on it. So yeah, but no, there's a lot Itania. of there's a lot of good stuff uh, out there. I mean, like one some of our main sources was uh, the Truth and Lies series episode on this. Also, the Thirty for Thirty, The Price of Gold, um, and then the 1986 I want to say documentary Sharp mm-hmm. Edges. And I watched I, that last night. Yeah, I also referenced um, like a big New York Times article that came out when the movie came out, as well as a Sports Illustrated article that had come out. I think like either right before or right after the main thing of you know that makes Tanya Harding a dump but we'll get to that so we're going to start from the very beginning from the very start Tanya Harding was placed against the odds it was no secret to anyone exposed to the Harding family that mental and physical abuse were commonplace in the Harding home but much like in the case of the Jackson family the severe abuse dealt out by Tanya's mother served as almost a Gatorade-esque extra boost to her talent and this episode is going to recount some really nasty instances of child abuse and spousal abuse. So that's your fair warning because there it's going to get and, pretty dark and sexual abuse of an incestual type. Yeah. Nature. Yeah. It's you could uh, say it's got it all in a way. So, yeah, yeah. J- just uh, off the top. Fair warning. Now, Tanya Maxine Harding was born November 12, 1970 in Portland, Oregon. She grew up in a fairly rough neighborhood and was, according to her own description, born white trash. She was raised by her father, Al Harding, and her mother, Lavana, who by the time Tanya was born, collectively had six previous marriages, which produced a combined total of four other children. And that's pre-Tanya being born. So it's just this menage of, you know, dysfunctionality that she's being born into now and and if you're any if you're at all familiar like the mom is in many ways sort of like a villainous character in this story sure fits into fits into like so many categories of like like psycho mom you know because you've got just like regular old psycho mom and then you've got psycho sporting parent yeah it's beyond um, stage moms even Because like right. with, with a um, stage mom, you're you're pressuring your kid into like pretending better and like acting more. Mm-hmm. This is like you're pushing their physical endurance and capabilities. Mm-hmm. So there's like actual right. pain involved. I also just think it's interesting to have someone like that because by all uh, accounts, like a very unpleasant person. But but having six marriages, I mean, maybe it's just that because she had such a strong personality and strong will. But really, when you like, you're like, how the fuck did she get married six yeah. times? You know. Well, but I mean, her dad really, wasn't when you're a strong will. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So one of the few joys Tanya found, despite her bleak home life, was ice skating. Skating for Tanya is her ticket out of the gutter. Her first exposure to skating was at an ice rink, one that existed at the local shopping mall. Portland was not an ideal place for an aspiring figure skater to grow up, but Tanya made the few practice spaces that were available to her work for her. Tanya was just three years old when she began skating. Now, there's going to be a lot of talk of the horrible things Tanya's mother did and was accused of, but let's just say 
you know, just at the top here, that there is something to be said about a mother of two who works multiple jobs and still finds the time to bring her daughter to the local ice rink to train, but not only train, train to the extent that she becomes one of the top skaters in the world. At the peak of her amateur years, it cost anywhere from $25,000 to $30,000 a year to keep Tanya competing. The money for coaching, equipment, and travel often dwarfed the family's budget, but somehow they always made it work. That being said, fuck Tanya Harding's mom. <laughs> she seems fucking yeah. awful. Um, you know, and we say the mother of two because Tanya grew up with her older half-brother, Chris Davidson, a son from one of her mother's previous marriages, and he'll come up later uh, in a very yeah. unfortunate way. Fuck, fuck Chris Davidson real bad he's a also a piece of shit we'll get into yeah um but yeah it's kind of it's kind of laying the groundwork sometimes with abusive parents of um serial killer or really amazing athlete yeah <laughs> um, yes you know it's like de depending on how it goes but something about it does kind of create this motivation now i mean typically with serial killers there is nothing there is really ever there's no outlet to be like, well, you can be something you're just getting the really overbearing parenting in addition to other factors so that it just kind of leads you to serial killing, which I guess in a way could be your special skill in life. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, I like I mean, you get famous for it and we can go into that psychology, <laughs> but then people want to be famous sure. for killing. But there are. Yeah, I do think sometimes with these like mega athletes. Not always. I mean, there can also there's also plenty of stories of really affectionate, loving, supportive parents. But sometimes that motivation right. is just like incredibly toxic of like hating your parent, hating your mom, and loving them yeah. at the same time. Well, and I mean, to and please them. When, when we start talking about some other skaters, we'll see the difference between like support versus like abuse, you know, and how it can lead you to the same place, but like just very different roads. But we're not mm. quite there yet. So Tanya described her father as troubled, but good to her. They were close, at least much closer than she was with her mother, who from as far back as Tanya can remember, had been abrasive, verbally and physically abusive, and just plain awful. Her father, however, had always shown love and support for her. He would take her out to go fishing and hunting, and he taught her how to fix cars and things like that, like very tomboy-esque stuff. Uh, kind of a a, a, a a group of interests that stand in opposition to what you think of when you think of figure skater, you know, and that kind of plays into the way Tanya Harding as a personality was mm -hmm. formed from an early age. She wasn't raised, or, you know, with the baby dolls and stuff like yeah. that. She was hunting, fishing and, and, you know, right. hanging out with and, her dad. Yeah. Beyond even just figure skating, just your kind of American, like hetero fan, like girl, idea you know yeah like when you go when you go back and you know into that just this is that time of like guys hunt and fish and <laughs> girls like play with dolls and ice skate right yes exactly so, you know. so yeah ne'er the two shall meet when tanya was just four years old at her mother's drunken cigarette fueled and angry insistence she began training under the accomplished ice skating coach and former ice capade soloist diane rollinson tanya was several years younger than the students rollinson typically coached but after being pressured into watching tanya skate she agreed to take her under her wing and apparently 
Tanya's mother, Lavana, would drink and smoke everywhere she went. And that'd be like, you know, she would just appear in a cloud of smoke and disappear in a cloud of smoke. And was all, you know, no matter what, you can't smoke here. Well, I'm almost done with it. Like, that's like shown in the movie mm-hmm. uh, um yeah yeah again you know i tanya takes a lot of liberties but it does follow kind of like the general truth um but in mm-hmm. interviews lavana said that she wasn't drinking all the time she wasn't alcoholic and she would actually just add brandy flavoring to her coffee it wasn't mm-hmm. actually brandy yeah i just really like the taste of disgusting alcohol the to the point where i'm gonna add brandy flavoring to my coffee mm-hmm. uh so that's why she would always I'm, smell like I'm, booze i mean you know that's a lie because who would ever do that over just drinking brandy. Yeah. Like that makes no fucking sense. Exactly. I also wanted to say, I think it was maybe in the, the sharp edges documentary, but there to back up a hair about, um, Tanya's like, you know, the first time she skated, um, and, and how the coach Diane, like what eventually was convinced by her talent was apparently Tanya, like as the legend has it, Tanya had this like, just immediate knack sort of like the first time she put on skates right it was like she she had never done it before and there was other people on the rink and she could just immediately mimic what more ad- experienced skaters were doing like first first time right know? it's because so like it's because she was talent. a kid it's because she was so young like i mean toddler-esque you know that she wasn't mm-hmm. afraid like yeah. she didn't uh, she wasn't aware of the consequences of falling you know and stuff like that so she's right. like oh no you jump and spin whereas like if you were say six or eight years old you might be like well i've fallen down before i don't want to get hurt and so you're a little mm-hmm. more timid until you get better she didn't have that right. in her head yet um and i mean chances are she had been hurt quite a bit and maybe had built up a tolerance to pain that you know, well, falling on the skates probably doesn't hurt as bad as being beaten with the hairbrush. Um, it's also worth noting that her sure. mother fiercely denies many of the most brutal allegations of child abuse. Um, but also like kind of offhandedly admits to a lot of it by just being like, well, yeah, you spank them. That's what you do. Like that's such a abuser, mm-hmm. abusive parent thing where it's like, well, no, mm-hmm. like back then you would spank your kids. It's like, yeah, but like you don't spank them in the face. You know, it's like, it's fucked up. So before we continue, and this is where it's going to get a little long winded here, we should do a very quick breakdown of what female ice skating is all about. The most anticipated event of Winter Olympics actually has its roots in 3000 BC in parts of Scandinavia and Russia, if you can fucking believe that. By the mid-1700s, ice skating began to resemble something at least similar to what we have today. By the late 1800s, there had been several books written on the different tricks and movements that one could do on skates. Ice skating also inspired roller skating, which was kind of... uh, you know, it taken on by the circus so they could have ice skaters do tricks like on like like on land, you know what I mean? In a traveling circus. Uh, so that's where that comes from. In 1902, at the Ice Skating World Championship, which was put on by the International Skating Union, an English woman named Madge Sires placed second after the reigning champ Ulrich Salchow. See, ice skating wasn't an all-men's or all-women's sport because it was just assumed that it was unladylike for a woman to compete in virtually any kind of competition. And because of this assumption, there were no rules keeping women from competing. But after a woman came so close to beating the best male skater, the International Skating Union banned women from competing against men and created a separate competition (laughs) just for women skaters. 
that that is so crazy that it it was it was so sexist that they didn't even think it was possible yeah (laughs) you know like there wasn't even it was just like that's just not even possible that anyone would any woman would ever dream of doing it right and a woman's really good at it and they're like oh now we gotta they they would ice skate but it would be like at central park or something like it would be like you know it would just be for leisure like by no means were they going to compete you know especially not against but it's just funny that yeah right but it's funny that then they would still have the competition like i could just exactly I i would love to see that and then the like horrified reactions of the men like what? Oh fuck! Like who yeah. let this woman compete? Like what the fuck? Yeah, like, like, well, they're no, like, there's no rules against it. Yeah, they like, have well, the big rule book. That. Yeah, they have the big rule book. They're yeah. like feverishly Where's going the through rule? the pages. Where's the rule? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's got to be a rule. <laughs> so that's when you have the split, and you have men's ice skating and women's ice skating. Now, figure skating was actually the first Winter Olympic sport, and it was at the Olympics that we see the standards and expectations of female figure skaters take shape. Figure skating in general is one part athleticism, one part appearance, one part grace, and one part politics. The cliches surrounding ice skating are often true, forcing the impressive athleticism of the competitors to go unappreciated. Basically, it's a looks contest. You know, yes, you have to be incredibly talented to do that. But if you're not in like, you know, I don't want to say skimpy, but like these short, like this is how it's grown now, you know, but these little outfits with the sequins and your hair and makeup are all like, that's all stuff that you're being judged on, on top of how good you are at skating. It, it really right, is, which it's is half and half. And I mean, what other... And I and there could be, but I mean, what other Olympic sports do you get judged on your appearance? Right, exactly. That's that's you know? the, maybe the ribbon dancing. I mean, maybe maybe gymnasts or yeah, yeah, which also is like a very like female dominated sport. Notice the trend there, right? Um, of course, I mean, yeah. There's yeah. all sorts of that. The women's volleyball. Those shorts are like they couldn't be smaller. And also, um, like if you're really good at skating and you're like a fucking powerhouse skater and you're able to do like all these gnarly tricks that traditionally only men have done in competition, in a way, like it's impressive to the judges, but they also kind of look at you as like, well, you're not like showing the poise of a of a lady the, ice skater. Like the feminine grace. Exactly. Is yeah. Well, back to our girl. The way Tanya was treated by her mother grew worse and worse as she got older. This, coupled with her dad's constant unemployment and fights with her mother, along with the absolutely disturbing instances of molestation at the hands of her half-brother, made life off the ice unbearable. It was through ice skating that Tanya could escape the hell of home in pursuit of the heaven of success. Now, her mother was known from a you know young age, Tanya as a young age, uh, beating her with a hairbrush, pulling her hair, slapping her in the face. Um, you know, there's stories of them being at an ice rink in the bathroom and Tanya's mom is trying to fix her hair and telling her, oh, you're doing such a shit job and like hitting her with a hairbrush while another little girl is like taking a dump and like watching this through like the stall cracks, just like, fuck, like, I, like do, oh, I, do I go out? Like, do I walk out in this so or do I wait for it to be horrible. over? Yeah, it, it's really, Damn, really traumatizing. Yeah, that's And so, yeah, that's I mean, that this would have been a better time to say what I'd said earlier. But basically, yeah, it's kind of this love hate, like, fuck my mom. But also, I want to make her like, give me one compliment. Yes, like, please give me like the tiniest drop of 
acknowledgement and approval. Right. And then that kind of drives that can drive you to become yeah. an incredible athlete. But it but also all, will damage you and, <laughs> and it will lead yeah. you into similar relationships in the future because that's yeah. what you're used used to. We'll get to that. Yeah. But also there's a whole thing mm-hmm. that Tanya has been dealing with where it's like she's getting so much shit at home and from her mother. And then, you know, the coach is telling Tanya, like, you need to be like these other girls who come from, you know, generally like you know, nice families with money. And like, this is kind of a more affluent sport to get into. And she's just constantly competing against and like pushing against these expectations that she can't meet and really doesn't even want to, you know, she just wants to. It skate. Is a, yeah. So she's getting it from it all is angles. Definitely. It is definitely, I, I mean, I don't know a whole lot, but I would say, uh, it is there. You do need some money. To do it, sure. To, to be, you know, and like, and like you said, with like the twenty-five to thirty thousand a year, just on the coaching. I mean, that's not school. That's not living. That's not eating. That's just the. That's coaching, just the ice know? skating. Well, it's the it's the and travel. That's also too. like yeah, and the outfits and stuff. But that's also in the like seventies, eighties. So that's even. I mean, that's it's a, a lot, lot of fucking money. money. Yeah, exactly. Um, and according to Tanya, during one particularly nasty argument with her mom, her mom threw a kitchen knife at her. Uh, which is, you know, in the movie yeah. they show it that it gets stuck in her arm. That's not really what happened, but still, getting a knife fucking thrown at you. Um, she would also force movie. Tanya to stay on the ice the entire time they were at the rink. She said, "I'm paying for this. No breaks. What the fuck? Get out there and skate." And this poor little girl would sometimes would end up wetting her like sweats in front of everyone else because her mom wouldn't let her go to the bathroom because she's like, I'm paying for you to be here. You're going to be here on the ice the entire time. It's absolutely traumatizing. Now, despite, and then it's also creating like a, sorry, it's like not only is she not getting like really love from her mother, but it's creating this sort of like ostracization alienation, even within the skating community. Cause it's like, I'm not like the other girls. Like, I'm wetting myself because my mom won't let me leave. And like, yeah, I'm sure it was probably one of those things where like, yeah, like even the girl in the bathroom, like just like, what the fuck do I do? Not like necessarily like, hey, it's terrifying for everyone. And the coach, too, you know, who might want to say something, but like, like, what the fuck are you going to say? You know, it's it's absolutely fucking terrifying. And yeah, I mean, Tanya's mom would also yell at her for like talking to the other girls. She wasn't able to make friends really within ice skating, which is something that will keep coming up pretty much her entire ice skating career. So despite her ever-increasing talent, Tanya was looked down upon by other skaters as well as the judges of competitions. While she attempted to fit the mold of the ideal figure skater, she just couldn't quite pull it off. Tanya always came off as just a bit rougher around the edges, and this played to her advantage in some ways. Tanya's skating style was far more aggressive and heavy-handed than her competition, and because of this, she was able to do tricks that no one else could and more of them. So say one like skater her age works up their entire program, they call it, like your routine, um, to do like one, one big spin or something like that. Tanya would be ripping them out the whole fucking time. You know, like, because that yeah. way she could impress her mom. She could impress the judges. They'd have to see past her, like, shoddy costumes or her hand-me-down skates or, you know, right. the lack of makeup or her short haircut that she had. Like, all that stuff because it was undeniable. Um, she also, you know, Tanya was a, just a different gal. Like, as a teenager on, she liked rock and roll, drinking, smoking cigarettes. She had short hair and she 
was rough. She had to hand make her costumes a lot of the time. So it's just a different world than what her competitors were used to. And Tanya began competing at the national level as a teen. She competed in the U.S. Skating Championships for the first time in 1986, where she placed sixth. She placed fifth in the 1987 and 1988 championships, and she placed third in 1989. So she's getting better every year, and she even placed first in the 1989 Skate America competition. Skate America is like a independent. It's not recognized um, the same way that the U.S. like nationals are, but it's mm-hmm. still really fucking good, right? Like, mm-hmm. just like how there's, yeah. you know, I mean, with, with most pro sports, there really aren't like different. Like they're like with NFL, there's like the Super Bowl and that's it. But with like Olympic sports, there's all like we saw with Lance Armstrong. There's a million different like prestigious races that you could do. Same with ice skating, all sorts of different uh, right. competitions that you could be part of. So because she won Skate America, it was believed that she would take first at the 1990 National Championships, but she placed seventh. According to Tanya, her, her poor performance was due to asthma and the flu. Maybe it was a hangover. Maybe it was what we like to call in the city club cough, where you just, uh, <laughs> you, you know, like when you might have smoked a I little know. bit too much the night before and, and you have like those, uh, like the, the you cough up some stuff that kind of like has like a hickory taste to it. That's club yeah. cough. Party flu. Party flu. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So who I, knows? I, I but she might have say... been sick. I don't fucking know. I know that there will be more instances of Tanya's asthma um, later in her career, but yeah, she liked to party too. Um, I just wanted to mention, cause you mentioned like the first skating championship was in 1986, which is when sharp edges comes out. Right. So if you're at all interested in this, I mean, yeah, it sounds like I Tanya is like a good entry level. I mean, mainly because Margot Robbie is fantastic yeah. at acting. Um, but I would really suggest checking out Sharp Edges. It's an hour long, and I mean, it's very candid, and it's really you you get a lot like everything we're describing. You're you're really getting some of this firsthand. You're not seeing physical. You're not seeing abuse. But um, she talks but about she, it. Like she talks about it. At one point, uh, there's this famous moment in the documentary that Margot Robbie even mentions as being like kind of a way that she was drawn into the into the character but she's on the phone with her mom in a hotel room right and she's trying to like explain like i did good but like something wasn't right you don't hear what her mom's saying but something obviously wasn't pleasing to her mom and you can you're hearing it out in real time how she had obviously done something very impressive it wasn't good enough for her mom you can hear the frustration in her voice she hangs up the phone and she's like okay let me do bye what a bitch and you're like, it's kind of funny. It's kind of funny. But then when you think about it in the context, you're like, this is the shit she's dealing with all the time. Right. Um, like most teenagers she- might say that about a parent, you know what I mean, over something. But when Tanya says it, she says it the same way that like a snotty teenager would say it if their parents didn't let them like go to a party or stay out late enough or something. But like, it's right. so it's like, what a bitch. Like, but she's like, Deal, like talking about it about very real abuse you know so it's like this weird thing where she's so used to it that she can just offhandedly be like mm-hmm. oh what a bitch but it's so heavy yeah and there's actually i i want to play like a short clip from from it where she she actually describes some of the abuse yeah um in it my relationship with my mom is really bad she is not i mean 
she's a good mother, but she's not a good mother. She hits me and she beats me and she drinks. My mom's an alcoholic and she has been now for about the last year. And if anything goes wrong, then she has a drink. And then if something goes wrong with her work, then she takes it out on me. And everything she does, she yells at me or takes it out on me. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's yeah. rough and it's happening in real time. And I think Sharp Edges was actually a student film, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, well, that's what's also funny. So for, well, sorry, funny is a bit, well, there is some funny stuff to it unintentionally. Um, so first off, I just wanted to say that that clip happens five minutes into the documentary. <laughs> um, so it's just like, here's a documentary about a precocious young skater. And five minutes in, it's like, yeah, she hits, my mom beats me. Yeah. Um, but she also says it with that sort of matter of factness that a lot of abuse victims have. We're like, yeah, that's my fucking life. Right. Um, it's not necessary. It's, it's like they've already had the trauma uh, internalized. So it's not like, like you're not going to get the sob story. It's like, yeah, yeah I, it's because I, they- my mom beats me right. and it's been happening for years. So they can just sort of casually say it and it can be disarming because there's not you're not getting the tears. You're not getting like necessarily any emotion. You have to just listen to the words in the scenario and be like, damn, that's fucked up. Right. Well, I think that that comes from not getting any sympathy at home. So when they're telling someone they're not right. expecting anyone to care because they're not used to that, mm-hmm. you know, and right. like, again, it, it's it's really fucked up. You know what I mean? Like the but whole what, and also yeah, her mom, isn't totally. she in it? And, and she's she's what, in she she wears like a fur coat and she has a bird on her shoulder, like some fucked yes. up ice skating yes. abusive her mom ma- pirate. No, not only that, <laughs> not only that, she's like a parrot lady. I mean, you know, it's just like <laughs> there's cat ladies and then there's like, parrot ladies. Yeah. And so she has a bird. And, and, and I, I think that's the one even where she talks about the brandy flavoring um, because I because Tanya is talking about how her mom would get up at 430 in the morning and like start pouring the brandy and the coffee and by eight in the morning the the coffee with the brandy's done i mean fuck dude it seems yeah. pretty. that's obvious. like an old lady um, four loco like a little caffeine yeah. a little booze mm-hmm. you know she's basically yeah. getting four locoed in the morning uh with a bird on but her shoulder the reason why i said the documentary is funny is not because of that but because i think yeah i guess it is a student there's something about it where it has these really incredibly intimate revealing shots and scenes but then there's these moments where they play this god awful like rock and roll yeah like generic stock rock over stock rock. scenes and i guess maybe you know someone was like oh tanya likes rock let's find like the shittiest 80s rock song we could ever with like no lyrics <laughs> so there's so there's these weird moments where you're just like what is this like music blasting um yeah she but would- there's also tons of training footage um i don't know it's it's an hour long i i thought it was a really good documentary totally worth it yeah no it's totally worth it and it's it's a definitely a, a tanya harding b-side like it's a deep cut uh for sure and she would skate to rock and roll but you weren't really allowed to use that in competitions that much uh one of the funniest things i found yeah. out that she skated to in one of her like famous uh, routines was the jurassic park theme <laughs> it's just like uh-huh. a funny thing to pick but so we just talked about how she got seventh uh, in 1990 at the at the Nationals. But before we get to 1991, let's backtrack just a bit to when Tanya was 15. This year of Tanya's life would prove to be the most tumultuous 
Yes, even more so than 1994 when the whole thing that makes this a dump happened. While training at the local rink, she locked eyes with 17-year-old Jeff Galuli. Jeff was a going-nowhere average teenage Joe. He worked as a conveyor belt operator for years who in between shifts would dream up scams with his band of goonish buddies, none of which would ever come to fruition. Nevertheless, the two started flirting and Tanya agreed to go out on a date with Jeff. Okay. You talking about old Goonie Galuli? Goonie Galuli, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, Je- yeah, the Galuli goons. That's his little street gang that they uh that's what they should have yeah. been called. But we're not even at the really at the goon squad quite yet. Uh this is buckle up folks. It's going to get rough here. On the eve of her first date with Jeff Galuli, while getting herself ready for what was in actuality her first date ever, her half-brother, who was 26 at the time, came home after a booze bender and attempted to kiss Tanya. When she refused... And this is uh, Chris Davidson? Davison. Yeah, Chris Davison. Yeah, her, da- ha- yeah, her half-brother. Chris Davison. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When she That's refused the kiss... He forced himself on her. Tanya threatened to burn him with a curling iron. When he continued to assault her, she burned him on the neck. After this, she ran to a bathroom and locked herself in. Davison broke the door down. Tanya dodged him and got the phone, which she used to call 911. While she was on the phone, Davison threatened her life, claiming he would kill her if she said anything was wrong. Tanya said everything was fine and hung up, but the very astute 911 operator called back and asked her, are you sure everything's okay? It's not, isn't it? Tanya simply replied, yup. The 911 operator then sent police to the Harding home, but that took a long time. Davison attacked Tanya again. This time, Tanya used a hockey stick to ward him off. Very ice, like a lot of ice stuff, like, you know, like a hockey stick. Right, well, she loved, ice skating. She loved to play hockey, too, which kind of goes into this tomboy doing things that girls, quote, aren't supposed to do because she was just a very good, she just loved being on the ice, and she was, like, yeah. a pretty good it, hockey player, too. If you could take her ice skating and her celebrity boxing and put them together, she would have been a killer hockey player. Uh, and she's, that, <laughs> she's a very competitive, she's, like, loves sports, and we'll get into that more in part two, but I sure. mean, just in general, like, sports and athletics. But anyway, we're in the middle of a horrible story. <laughs> yeah, I know. All right. So she used a hockey stick to ward him off and ran to a neighbor's house. Davison took off in his car and later returned to attempt to break into the neighbor's house where Tanya was hiding. It was at this time that the police finally arrived and arrested Davison. Now, years later, Davison would die after being struck by a car in Seattle. Yes! Uh, Yeah, and uh, Tanya Harding, she says it so great. She's like, and that's the only time I ever really felt anything towards him because I was fucking happy he was dead. Yeah, she's actually, uh, in one interview, said that Davison was the only person she ever hated. So that yeah. she doesn't include her mom in that list. Right. Yeah. Because I think their relationship was so complicated. But this, yeah, she he was the only person that Yeah. So it's, I mean, I don't know. Is it's it karma? I mean, yeah. But Tanya's but mother and father, they totally man. downplayed this whole thing. Um, they downplayed the severity. And Lavana, she went so far as to slap Tanya for calling the police, you know, to say, you're a drama queen. What the hell? You completely overreacted. You're going to call the fucking cops on your brother? Like, what the fuck? Like, grow up kind of a thing. Like, Jesus this, Christ. And this her. This is unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. Her, her dad actually on, went and visited Davison uh, in jail the next day. And Davison claimed he had, like, no recollection of any of this stuff happening. It was like, why? Why am I even here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, why would you just black out like that? That's ridiculous. But yeah, <laughs> there's an unfortunate, 
another unfortunate trend that sometimes happens with this uh, familial abuse where people super close to you, like your family, people who should really, it would really help your mental state if your mom and dad like believed you, don't. Yeah. Um, there was, I, speaking of Olympics, the uh, the Larry Nasser case. Oh, the, you know, the, the gymnast doctor? The Olympic. Oh, my God. Who ended up abusing like hundreds of gymnasts. And there was so many stories because he was such a trusted person. Not quite the same f as like a family member, but essentially was like a, a family member to all these gymnast families. Yeah. And when sometimes they would tell you know, the tale like accounts of his abuse. And in some cases, the parents would react so negatively towards the gymnast and be like, how dare you say that about right. Larry? Well, and that goes into so like it's very, it's very sad. That's kind of like stage, like the worst kind of stage parents where they like are aware of like the darkness of whatever they're trying to, you know, whatever world they're trying to push their kids towards, you know? And it's like, well, it's like, don't ruin this. Like you're at the Olympics. Mm -hmm. Don't be the one that fucking ruins this for yourself by outing someone, you know? And this was kind of the same thing. It's like, don't be the one that tears the family apart because you fucking wanted to call the cops on your brother who was just trying to give you a kiss. Like, ugh, disgusting. Right. Lavana left yeah. Al and Tanya stayed with her father. That was until he took an out-of-town job and she was forced to move back in with her mother and her new husband, James Golden. Lavana, fucking this is what, husband number four or five at, at this point? It's fucking Wait, crazy. Uh, you know, no judging. Oh. I know sometimes things don't work out. But in this case, it's just like, fuck, now Tanya, not only does she have to leave the one parent that, like, treated her nicely but she has like now it's she has to enter a whole new family dynamic with her mom and this new guy now during this time I'm really i'm really fascinated by the six husbands i don't think you'll ever get like a truly accurate portrayal of how the fuck she had six husbands but like i kind of want that story i mean, I mean i'm sure it's really dark and depressing she but, probably like, how just scares did she you into six it husbands and like like she she walks up really with a fucking Virginia Slim hanging out of her lips with a fucking like like a poor man's Corella Deville fur coat made of God knows what animals with a fucking bird on her shoulder <laughs> and she's like you're gonna fucking marry me dickhead and like the brandy yeah. kind of wafts and rolls off your face and you're just like okay like that's that's gotta be <laughs> how it goes it's just like these broken yeah. men. So during this time, Tanya's relationship with her mother hit an all-time low, a period of time immortalized in the independently produced documentary Sharp Edges, which we just covered. Yes. Uh, this film mm -hmm. follows Tanya through her trials and tribulations on the road and competing nationally. Now, as far as her relationship with Jeff Galuli went, the two were in love, but it was a love that Tanya was all too familiar with. Three years into the relationship, Tanya moved in with Jeff. Three years because she was 15 when she met him. So the second she was 18, she was fucking out of there, right? She's like, well, I'll go right. stay with Jeff. And her mom's like, go ahead. He fucking beats you. You know, her turbulent life, like, like essentially what she did was she left one abusive home for another because it didn't seem out of the question for someone to treat her like that. That's kind of how mm -hmm. warped her perspective was because of all this abuse. Because, now, her turbulent yeah. life had a huge impact on her skating, but she was so good that even even when her performance began to suffer, she was still a top competitor. He began abusing her maybe within the first couple dates. Like, I think he hauled off and slapped her one night, and she would hit him back, and then that became their dynamic. And it's like, well, I hit him too, is mm -hmm. kind of this thing. And it's like, well, none, yeah. of, none of this is good, dude. 
Like, yeah. like it doesn't yeah. matter if like you hit him sometimes. Like no one should be hitting mm-hmm. anyone. Okay, that's the whole yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. So after her lackluster performance at the 1989 Nationals and uh, the 1990 uh, Nationals, Tanya and her longtime coach parted ways, citing philosophical differences. Dodie Teachman, who was an assistant coach under Diane Rawlinson, took over as Tanya's full-time coach. So basically... Maybe Dodie will be good. Right. Well, I mean, Diane was great, but Rawlinson was good. Well, Teachman? Yeah, maybe if it was Teach teach Woman... (laughs) She's not trying to teach a man, but uh, that's so lame, dude. That's like bottom. That's we're scraping the barrel here. This is like when you go to Subway teach and you ask me. for a tuna sandwich, and and they you see them scraping the thing, and you're like switch to a cold cut combo like instead because you don't want the tuna I when like they're scraping the, scrape. the barrel. But um, I like the scrape in the movie. They they kind of show Tanya being fed up with her coach and firing her. Not really what happened. They kind of just, you know what? We're not working well together. So Dodie takes over. Mm-hmm. Dottie, however you pronounce it. So as stated earlier, in 1990, Tanya placed seventh at the Nationals after being bumped out of second place. But 1990 would be a bittersweet year for young Tanya. While she may have lost the big competition, she did marry the man who at the time she considered to be the love of her life, Jeff Galuli. After the so-called honeymoon phase was over with, Tanya's marriage to Jeff became even more violent. However, this did not stop her from training, and all of the hate and anger and determination flowing through her veins helped her to achieve the biggest accomplishment of her career. This is, like, it's so fucked up telling this story. Like, now I'm realizing, like, it was so funny that you wanted to change the way we ended part one, uh, because I had it, like, it would have already been over by now, but it is just too bleak. Like, this is so bleak, you know, like, yeah. and there's funny Mm -hmm. stuff in part two, like, there's the celebrity boxing and stuff, but overall, this story is about just fucking how fucked up Tanya Harding had it, really. I mean, uh, like, from all angles. So, but not not here. Yeah, it's... This is the glimmer of of hope. It's yeah, it is really sad because sometimes when you think of it and then especially as you start to get some sort of like national attention of any way or to like outsiders, it probably seemed I mean, not if you were too close to the inside, but if you were an outsider, you're like, damn, sh- she's so good. She's so good. Yeah. And like it must be great to be such an incredible athlete. In reality, there was just so many people so close who had a control and a hold on her life who were just like affecting her actual well-being her her psychological right. who she actually was as a person and just kind of but also kind of really the judges of the competitions were fucking awful to her too you know like they would notice her handmade like her homemade i should say um you know costumes and tell her like don't wear that again don't wear something like that and come right. to this competition and she literally said to a judge one time do you have five grand to fork over to get me a better costume? Because if not, shut up and just watch me fucking skate. And they were like, whoa. Like, you know, and that's kind of when mm-hmm. the she became at odds with her original coach, Rollinson. Because Rollinson, you know, she was in the ice capade. She's like, you don't talk to judges like that. You're supposed to be a princess. And Johnny Harding's like, I'm not a fucking princess. I'm a badass fucking skater. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go smoke right. a cigarette and cool off, you know. But on right. February, and, yeah. And it's also like, sorry. No, I no, it's just yeah. also, again... I mean, in depicting all this, it's not... I mean, Tanya Harding still is a human who is making her decisions and and, and does have, like, agency over her life. And it's... I mean, she still is making something of her life and being yeah. a really 
fucking good skater, you know? Right, which is something so, that her yeah. husband, Jeff, and his cronies fucking latched onto because they're like, well... I mean, if she gets good, I mean, because there's cash prizes and stuff so, like in some of these competitions, it's like this could be my ticket, you know. So Jeff becomes very mm. supportive, but supportive in the way that like her mother was, you know. Whereas Jeff might say like, "Great job, honey," and like give her a kiss or something after a thing. Like he's still gonna slap her in the face for something else, dip like later, right. you know what I mean? But at least yeah. there's that. And he, but he's pushing it because like if we can just get you on a fucking Wheaties box, you know, like all right. be able to fucking you know live this life too. So, Damn, dude, the Wheaties box is like, I hadn't thought about that in a minute. That's everything. I man. don't know if it's a dump, but maybe the owner of Wheaties is a... She a was on a Wheaties box, I believe. She did make it to a Wheaties box, I believe. I believe. I, I, I remember seeing it in one of the documentaries. <laughs> so, on February 16th, 1991, at the U.S. Skating Championships, Tanya solidified her reputation as one of the greatest female skaters of all time. During her program, Tanya became the first American woman to land the dreaded triple axel in competition. That's very important. They always say in competition because, sure, there might have been some skater that never had a chance to be in competition that had done this. But when it's on record, that's when they can say that. Also, first American. Well, and, the pre and when the pressure. Right. Yeah. And the pressure and all that stuff. But also the first American. Like, that kind of seems like it takes away. Like, it's just she's not just the first female ever. She's the first American female. But still, you know, yeah. the, it, it was. There was a huge fucking deal. There was like one, yeah, one, but but only this. I think the sec, yeah, second woman to do it. Yeah, and first American. Yeah, there was yeah. I, another another account of just how she would. Yeah, she would do it all the time in practice. Like people who saw yes. saw her doing it all the time. But um, I guess you know in those competition moments, um, kind of the way it's described is like really. Like falling is such a big deal, yeah. Um, in skating, I mean, sometimes, and I, I've even I've seen this just like when you watch the Olympics. Like sometimes, if if someone falls once, it seems like it's much more likely that they might fall again because then their whole like concentration is shattered, yeah. And so then they might fall like two or three times in it. Um, so it it's very easy if like something that you're like I don't know that's pushing it. I don't know if I can do it. Like maybe just go for the double axle. Don't right. do the triple. So it was like a very big deal. And it not only did she do it, but like people have been talking about it. Like, is she gonna do it? Well, like it, it, there was hype. Uh, like I they were like, play... is she gonna land it? Yeah. Well, because that's the thing. Everyone knew that she could do it because she had been doing it during training and practices. So you can hear the announcers being like, "Will she do the triple axle? Will like, will she'll be the mm -hmm. first one?" She's wearing this mint green, you know, outfit. It's very iconic, and she fucking does it. And the announcer leaps up, and I'm, we're gonna play this clip really quick. Now the question is whether she will become the first American to attempt and complete a triple axle jump. We will know that here whether she tries it or not. Good girl! Oh, isn't yeah. that great? The first time an American, only Midori Ito, has completed a triple axle in competition. Oh, how nice! How terrific! Like, yes. everyone is on their fucking feet. And Tanya, she does, like, the yes! Like, like she almost breaks poise, 
you know and like that's one thing also about tanya she had to keep her emotions in check so much at home that it's she's very expressive on the ice in a way that other skaters weren't like when she lands that shit mm -hmm. she knows that because just solely based on the fact that she landed a triple axel she won the competition but like she's still like she can't help but be like yes like you know what i mean and like that's not something yeah. you do in in figure skating like you don't break it was that a very She'd also cry just, on the ice when she would fall. Yeah. You know, like things like that. And you're just like, fuck, like, please keep it together, girl. You know what I mean? Like, don't let them get you down. Emotion but she yeah. can't. It's a, like, it's very emotionally yeah. charged. It's electrifying because you're kind of watching and it's only one person. It's not like a team sport. And you're just kind of. Yeah, it's. It's, yeah. It's a also, watch that. I mean, we played we played a clip, but. Um, yeah, no, you yeah, got to see it. It's super impressive. The whole audience is like. Yeah. Oh my God. But this also, there she later. So she set that record, being the first American woman to do it in competition. But later, she did two in a competition, became like I think like the only skater to do two triple axles. Um, but what is a triple axel? It's basically three turns in the air that starts with your forward skate and you land on the opposite foot. Very complicated. A lot of room for error. Most people do one or two like and also I, I found out that um a single axle or a double axle are actually required to be part of your routine in the championships like during at least like your freestyle or your long program so like you're expected to do some version of an axle like you, it's mandatory so for her to bust out a fucking triple it's like bam and not since 1973 had someone scored as high as Tanya did. Like she shattered people's like expectations mm -hmm. of what female skating could be. And this moment was truly the purest and happiest of Tanya's life. Uh, she had finally received the pure admiration and recognition that she had been seeking since she was three years old. It's where it yeah. all comes together this, for her. This and then this broke through. And again, why the sharp edges is so interesting is because it is a few years before this. Um, so you are seeing someone kind of on the rise uh, in addition to all the the tumultuous home life. But right. um, this moment is kind of like a watershed. You can't go back because now she has done something that is going to bring like now she's like a celebrity. Because, yes purely because of this now it's like oh tanya harding like and of course perfectly right at the start of the 90s which is where it's, you know the part two and yeah. where the whole scandal is going to become this fully 90s thing but yeah and then um but yeah she really at this point it was suddenly like now i'm like famous and yes. like people are like coming up to me and like people want things from me right and, like, and the whole thing know, we'll go way more into that later the reason why she became a celebrity isn't because like everyone in the country is so obsessed with the U S nationals of ice skating. It's because if you win the nationals, like, or, or if you win the international competition, you're like, you're in line for the Olympics. Like that's how they determine who's going to be right. on the American Olympic team. And if you're the fucking only female skater that can bust out a triple axel or two in competition, chances are you're going to take home the gold for your fucking country. Right. So people are setting right. her up for this, you know, like I would say, and I would say, I mean, figure skating is one of the most popular Olympic sports. Absolutely. It's the most exactly. popular winter, winter Olympic um, sport. But it's I, I would kind of describe where it's like one of those things where like maybe not, maybe there's like X amount of people watch the nationals who are kind of more fans. But then when something like this happens that's so big, then even if you didn't see it, it kind of becomes that like, oh shit, did right. you hear about it? Like, oh, I didn't see it, but I heard about it. Like, 
yeah like, people know about it but she was also such a like such an american competitor that like she would say stuff like i'm gonna go out and kick her butt and like she said stuff that like ice skaters don't say and she's just like and like people knew that she smoked people knew she came from like humble beginnings is how it was described before anyone knew how fucked up her life actually was you know like they just be like, oh she came from a small town didn't have much money like mm-hmm. her, her dad's not around in her life anymore right. like shit like that but really it was like so much worse but yeah and she's like you know, she just was a totally different breed of figure skater. Now, just one month later, after the after the triple axel, the big famous thing, she completed the triple axel again at the World Championships, and she came in second overall, just behind Christy Yamaguchi and just in front of Nancy Kerrigan. It was the first time one country took all three top places in the international competition ever. Like where the top three best figure skaters in the world are all coming from America. One is Christy Yamaguchi. She went on to be very successful. Then you have Tanya Harding. And then you have Nancy Kerrigan. And because they were all from America, this created a fierce perceived rivalry between the skaters. And that is where we are going to leave you this week. Cliffhanger, yes. baby. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. So we'll get into the next week's going to be a lot lighter. Dump. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we just had to talk about a lot of child abuse. Um, you know, I it's always it's always sad when this kind of stuff happens. But I will say, as yeah, no shit. <laughs> cool. Culture Dumps co-host, I don't know. To me, I do, I don't know. Then it, it it always gives a lot more substance to me of the dump itself because then it's like you can kind of, you can have these absurd moments of pop culture, but then when you can actually trace them to these right. very human tragedies or absurdities or whatever, then it kind of, I don't know, it just creates a much larger uh, scale Right. Like, I mean, we could have just of done what it is we do. <laughs> yes. Yes. I mean, the whole thing is we could have just done. We could have just started at 1994, just done the event and the fallout and ended with like the, the goofy stuff. But that's so not the proper way to tell this story because there you have to have so much like context to understand how it got to right. the point of the actual dump. And right. that's and, what this and we'll get into that. But. But yeah, part two and the things that you know about her or the, like the more surface level, the more dumpy things kind of were very quick to um, to villainize or to assume. And the, we'll get into the media and all that stuff. But yeah, it's good to know where she came from. Right. Because it is absolutely essential in setting up like what is going to happen and why you know who Tanya Harding is. Yes. And while we kind of are just focusing on like the US nationals and stuff. Keep in mind, I mean, she's doing many competitions a year. Like this it's not like she spends all year getting ready for this one. She's skating and winning shit all the fucking time. Uh it's just the yeah. big ones that, you know, you're under a microscope at and that's why we uh kind of glossed over her her pre-94 skating career and just gave you the highlight reel. Speaking of highlights, if you want uh access to research materials, fun videos and things having to do with our topics and dumps here on culture dumps sign up to patreon at patreon.com slash culture dumps where we also have a whole slew of side series including squirts docu dumps and ryan's report uh follow us on instagram at culture dumps send us emails we got some pretty good suggestions soon a lot of people want guinness book of world records to be a dump i'm not quite sure how we'll tackle that but we were getting that from a couple yeah. people 
Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, there's a, there's, like, there's, or, I like uh, that. There's a dump collective conscious going though, like where people Ripley's, are. Please believe it or not. <laughs> yeah, kind kind of deal. So yeah, uh, you can send us an email at culturedumps at gmail We will see you next week with the conclusion of the Tanya Harding saga. I'm Ryan Lichten. I've been joined by Parks Miller. Keep on dumping. <laughs>